so about two and a half years ago, I was sitting in a room at the Marsden, which is a cancer hospital, and the oncologist said to me, I'm sorry, what you have is incurable. Um, we can't get rid of it. You've got too many tumours. And obviously the next question is, well, how long do you think I've got? To which he said, uh, six to 18 months. So as you can see, he was wrong. <laughs> Thank God. So that's okay. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite tough since I've been through three rounds of chemotherapy, hence my new hairstyle. But as you can see with other people, all the top Christians have... Uh, <laughs> it's obviously a sign of deep holiness. And um, I just finished chemotherapy for the third time. You go through sort of five, six months at a time uh, two weeks ago. But as you can see, thank God I'm feeling fine. And I've also had all kinds of problems with my eyes. Uh, no, it's not from watching Watford, but... Uh, the, um, I had two detached retinas, one after the other, one in each eye. So last year, for a while, I was effectively blind. Um, I've got some sight back in, in this eye. And one thing I found out is that the legal requirements for driving are amazingly relaxed. <laughs> so as I'm going to be leaving here in a bit, just watch out if yeah, you're in the car we're park. Staying inside. <laughs> what would you say the, the big things God has taught you during that time, Jeremy? Because it's been a time of massive change. You... you you stood down from your post, um, uh, and I know you kind of thought about how you're going to use those last months. And What were the, the big things yeah. you learned? Well, I would say learning, because uh, I don't want to portray myself as some kind of amazing Christian, because I'm not. If you've followed me around in the last two and a half years, or before that, frankly, with a camera, there are lots of things I've done that I feel were, were wrong. Um, and it's tough being ill. But the, the most difficult thing is the impact it has on your family. And to have to repeat to them what I've just told you, not surprisingly, is quite, is quite difficult. I think the biggest thing that God is trying to teach me is trust. And if you think of a small child, you know, on the whatever, what's the A road out here? The A3. A3 or whatever. Um, well, actually, that's with a, with a crash barrier. But anyway, a busy road out here. If you think any of you with a small child, a toddler, if you hold the child's hand and then you cross the road, you take the child to the other side. And that, I think, is what God's trying to teach me, is not that I can hold on to him, because I can't, but that he's holding on to me and will, in one way or another, get us to the other side. And, you know, that's a bit like the story in the Bible where Jesus is in the boat asleep. And sometimes God can seem... I want to be respectful, but he can seem to us, from our limited human perspectives, to be asleep. And that's what the disciples thought. In fact, they waked Jesus up very roughly and shook him and said don't you care that we're going to drown and then Jesus gets up and rebukes the storm and also rebukes them but the story ends with them getting to the other side the other side of the lake the other side of Jordan through death so sorry to be cheery on this nice Saturday morning each one of us are going to die the death rate in this room is 100% if any of you are immortal you might want to have a word with John T or Trevor afterwards he'll disabuse you so God is trying to teach us, I believe, and teach me to, to trust him. Jeremy, thank you. Let, let's go right back now. Tell us a little bit about uh, your upbringing, the home you were born into, and uh, to fast forward a little bit as to how you became a Christian. So it's probably a good thing that John T. and Linda's boys have uh, left, because I too was the son of an evangelical 
free pastor, and they're usually the most trouble in any congregation, I can tell you. In fact, I'm sure this never happened to you, John T., but several times I got kicked out of church by my father from the pulpit, and it was just a bit embarrassing for me, and even worse for him. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my, my father was, a, he's been with the Lord many years, but he, his idea of summer holidays was to take us uh, Bible smuggling behind the Iron Curtain. So every summer we used to load up. I'm serious, yeah. I know. John T. Linda, there's your challenge. North Korea, maybe, is your, uh, is your equivalent. So we, we, we thought that's what most people did on their holidays. <laughs> it's, not, it's not what you do? Okay, no, okay. There we are. So yeah, we used to load up uh, an old car with Bibles and stuff and go through the Iron Curtain and go Bible smuggling. And as a child, I, to be honest, I didn't particularly like to go to church. And my father also, you know, for him, a, a sermon of an hour was a sermonette. So uh, I used to get quite bored also as a teenager. But one thing that struck me as a, as a youngster was just how these people in Russia and other places had every incentive not to believe. So the whole of society, the whole of culture was against them. If in Russia you were a Christian... You couldn't go to university, you couldn't get a job, and very often we would go to a church and someone would be in the you know, labor camps. Um, this was in the 70s where things were a bit more relaxed. In the 50s, you could be dead. So it struck me, why do these people believe in something they have no human reason for, for not believing in? And I would say what made me a Christian, which actually wasn't through the church um, at all particularly, was one day realizing that it was true. Um, that Jesus really existed and that he really did rise from the dead. Um, because there's two things when you're ill. One is obviously it's helpful to be a, to be a Christian versus being an atheist because you have something to look forward to. You have a crown of life. But actually the more important question is, is it true? And it is an acid test of do you really believe it's true when you're facing death straight up? But I can honestly say... I do believe it's true, and in fact, I would say I believe it more now than before I was ill. So was that a specific time that you became a Christian, or was it a gradual thing? It was, it was a, more of a gradual thing, which I think is often the case. I mean, sometimes, like Paul on the road to Damascus, people have this dramatic thing, but I think more often than not, it's a, it's a gradual process um, over a period of time. So you grew up in this Christian home um, with a very courageous parents, um, you went away to university. Uh, you left university. And in one sense, um, the world is before you. Uh, you chose to go into the financial into world. Into banking, yeah. Into banking. Yeah. We can say the, the B word, yes. You went into banking. Why did you choose to do that? Um, I'll give you the truth and I'll give you the spiritual answer. So the truth was because I wanted to make some money, you know, especially... Um, you know, my father had no money. In fact, he told me at the time, uh, some years afterwards, that the, this was 1984, so a long time ago, that I was making £6,000 a year, which was more than he was making at age 55 at the same, at the same time. So I, I don't want to portray myself again as some super Christian as the prospect of making money. I mean, listening to John T, silly me, for putting myself deliberately into a, into a trial. But I think... Um, God has something for each one of us to do. Maybe some of you are at the point where you're thinking, what do I do? Or you've just started out on a career. Every lawful job, in my view, is equally valid for the Christian. I mean, I'm not advocating if you're into drug dealing or things like that. And probably you won't have a word again with John T if that's your chosen career. But <laughs> there isn't, I think we often have this idea of a kind of pyramid um, where at the top you have missionaries to cannibal-infested islands, and then secondly you have missionaries to non-cannibal-infested <laughs> islands, and so on down. 
then you have pastors, and then you have like people doing good work, like teachers and nurses and doctors. I've got three sisters; they're all they're all in those professions. And then you have people doing ordinary work, and then probably under the pyramid you have bankers <laughs> with politicians, I guess. But that's not biblical. And also, we're 500 years from the Reformation. One of the main insights of the reformers was precisely this that there wasn't a two-tier system, clerical people and everybody else, and that the clerics kind of mediated God's grace to, to everyone. No, we're all called. God has a vocation and a calling for each one of us. It's great to be a pastor. I'm not brethren. It's good to, to have pastors. Thank God for, for John T. and others. But each of us has a vocation. And I think part of that vocation is that, let's say John T. turned up to your place of work, other things being equal, they wouldn't let him in because he doesn't work there. So if he goes, he, at the most, he'd have to say, I know so-and-so who works at KPMG or uh, Barclays or, or wherever it is. But for us, if we're working in a company, we can easily go in and out every day. And by doing that, if you like, we're God's ambassadors in our places of work. And think about it this way. If we don't bring the message of the gospel of a savior from sin, who else is going to do it? Now, there are other things as well we can do with our work. We can talk about money in a minute. But every vocation, I believe, is equally valid for a Christian. There isn't a two-tier system. So you, from the get-go, you had a kind of good grip on there's a false sacred-secular divide, that if you're a Christian, you're a Christian wherever God has gifted you to be and where the opportunity is and so on. Um, what were the kind of principles that, um, in that setting that, that guided your life as a young person uh, in, in the banking world? I'll give you so the on. principles as they should have been. Again, I don't want to portray myself as the, the, what they actually were. I'm not sure I really thought this through. But I think one of the most important things is, and I, looking at you, you all look very young, um, <laughs> nail your colours to the mast up front. There's an old saying, which is good, I think. If, um, if we were prosecuted for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? So there are many... And I'm not talking about standing on a soapbox in the middle of your company and saying, I'm going to give you the 10-minute sermon. I'm talking about just letting people know something as simple as you go to church. And you know, friends, there's an easy way to do that, which I have to say to my shame. Many times I've shirked, which is one of the most dangerous questions you can be asked on a Monday morning is, how was your weekend? Okay, how was your weekend? And you will, many of you will be asked that question on Monday, and you can say, oh, it was great. Or you can say, oh, Saturday was fantastic. We went to this thing at our church, as soon as you mentioned the C word, some people may not like that, and it was really good, and we were talking about money. By the way, by doing that, you're like the sower. You're throwing the seed out, like the sower in the story that Jesus told. And by the way, some of the time, it will land on concrete, and people won't react. But other times, someone will say, oh, that's interesting. What, what kind of church is it? Or, are oh, you not one of those Christians? Oh, you don't really believe that, and, and, and. So just by dropping a little bit of seed here and there, and nailing our colours to the mast that we are a Christian, that is the way to go. Because what doesn't work is to say, yeah, when I've got to a certain level of seniority or experience, then I'll let people know. No, start If you start, just by letting people know in a friendly, gentle way, you don't have to get out your Bible, in fact, you shouldn't whack them over the head with it. That's not a good idea, but just in a gentle, friendly way, let people know you're a Christian. Um, so you were 30 years or more in that, and obviously... You progressed. You worked abroad for a while? Yeah, 15 years. Where was that? In Switzerland, France, and uh, the US. Yeah, it was just great fun. Okay. And in this time, you've met and married Jeanette? 
And you've got how many children? Yeah, three children. That, you know, they're all at university. Okay. So, Jeremy, as you, I mean, you were obviously recognised as being um, an able, talented person, and you gained. I'm not sure about that. No. I believe in the Peter Principle. Have you heard of that? We're promoted to the level of our incompetence, <laughs> which is true. If you think about it, if you do a great job, you get promoted, and eventually, you don't do a great job, then you don't get promoted anymore. <laughs> But as, as you as you went, if we want to call it that promotion ladder, um, did it become easier uh, to be a Christian, or were there different challenges? What was in some ways, yes, because the more senior you are, the more you can take some risks and stand up. And I appreciate that when you're starting out and you're the sort of bottom of the food chain, so to speak, it's more difficult. In that sense, yes. In other senses, no, though, because of what John T was saying, that as you get on in careers, you get more money. And that's money is dangerous. Um, it's not inherently evil, but it's like having petrol, if you like, around. The more petrol you've got lying around, the more just one match can set the whole thing off. And the Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact, according to one uh, book I read recently, there are more than twice as many verses in the Bible on money and possessions as on faith and prayer combined. Mm. But in the UK, we have this kind of cultural cringe about talking about money, and we feel awkward about it. Probably in America, <laughs> they go to the other, other extreme. So the danger is, as you go on, and that will happen to all of you, unless for some reason you're terrible at your job and you get fired. Sorry about that. But if you, if you do a good job, you'll get more money. It's just the way life works. And that money, as John T. rightly said, is a trial. And I believe that we're saved, obviously, by faith in the Lord Jesus. But when we meet the Lord Jesus, he will say to us, well, Jeremy, I gave you X, and he'll say that to each one of you. And what did you do with it? How did you invest it? Because the Bible doesn't say, which John T. is right, that we should just go and live in a monastery and give everything away. No, the Lord himself says, lay up your treasure in heaven. So Jesus is giving you the best investment advice that anybody could give, which is send the money on ahead of you. You can't take the money with you, and trust me, that's something I think about quite a bit. You know, the Americans say, I never saw a hearse with a U-Haul. You know what a U-Haul is? Like a trailer. It came out of here and there was a hearse going along. It had a trailer behind it, and the person was trying to take everything with them. That's what the ancient Egyptians thought, wasn't it? That's why Tutankhamun had all this stuff with him, but that's ridiculous. But we can if we invest it in gospel work. When we get to heaven, there may be people who come to us and say, we never met, but... 50 years ago, you gave money to X, and through that person, I became a Christian. I'm so grateful, and I, may that be so. So let's not be um, afraid of talking about money then. Um, obviously, as you, the jobs you've done, you've been extremely well paid in that. What if you look at my bank account. <laughs> <laughs> but you've, you've had certain principles in your mind, you and Jeanette, haven't you, as different levels that you've got to, different income, that kind of thing. What advice will you give? Because where you were, in a sense, has, has reflected in, in your later life. Isn't it? What were the principles that, that drove you in yeah. terms of giving money now and how you were going to view money and what you needed and what you wanted to give away and this whole investment? If it's not for God's help, we would never give away anything. Maybe you're all very holy, but I have to say, and naturally, again, probably crying out with a poor pastor, I quite like money. So we need God's help, first of all, because we won't otherwise give, give stuff away. We'll, we'll keep it. Or we'll think, yeah, one day I'll, I'll, I'll give money away. So again, start as you mean to go on. You know, John is right. There is no particular magic formula. But I think a tithe, 10%, is not a bad way of doing it. You can argue it should be more. I have some friends who I admire. I'm not as holy as them who 
fix their lifestyle at a certain level and give everything away over that. God, God bless them. But give, give um, I would say, start with 10%. Secondly, give regularly and systematically. So I was recently in a, I have a thing that a few of us started called Generous Journey, which is to encourage Christians to give money away. It's sort of Christian philanthropy. And we had a, a millennials panel because all us old dinosaurs like Trevor and me want to hear what the 20-year-olds want to say. And they said many good things. But one thing that they said which struck me was that millennials or whatever it is, Generation XY, find it really difficult to give systematically. So there's this amazing thing that the banking system has invented called a standing order, which is great because, you know, habits are good. Habits are good. If you read Proverbs, there's a lot about habits. So if you start with the habit of giving standing orders, and I think the first place should be the church, there can be other things as well, that is a really good habit. Because also that means then it's not like, whoops, it's the end of the month, I've run out of money. No, you start at the beginning of the month by giving away, say, 10%. Also, the government in the UK, whatever you think of it, has this wonderful thing called gift aid. Do you all know what gift aid is? So you can get 25% immediately on top of that, and I'm sure there must be a few... I'm tempted to ask to put your hands up, but I won't. I'm sure there, there must be a few higher-rate taxpayers here, or if not, there will be soon. And you get an extra 15%, so actually you get 40%. That's amazing. So if you give £100 to Globe Church, you can get an extra 40 or you can give it to Globe Church, whatever, whatever you like. So give, give, give from the earliest point, give systematically. The third thing I'd say is in deciding what to do and what to give money to, and I think the local church should be the first thing. God will lay on your heart people and causes that he wants you to support and when you support them it's not just generosity is much more than money much more it's also time and interest and above all prayer so god will lay on your mind things that you should give money to and when you when you're doing that it's a bit like getting married fortunately it's not quite like getting married because there's no mother-in-law and stuff involved but <laughs> you know what i mean then then it's that commitment so other things being equal, I think then once you've found things, and now's a great time to do it when you're starting out with people, then support them and, and let them know that you're praying for them. Because generosity, and God loves a cheerful giver, is about so much more than money. It's about our time, our thinking, everything. Jeremy, you're um, not embarrassing you, but you're a great person at kind of collecting uh, um, wealthy Christians and encouraging them in this very thing. Um, what, what's the kind of, what have you found have been the, the thing that has struck you amongst some of those contemporaries? Uh, I mean, it's in one sense, I guess it's kind of reinforcing what you're saying here. But are, are there kind of one or two stories there that really have challenged you and helped you? Yeah, I think one thing is that as a giver, you are far more blessed than, than, than the money you give the person to and the lord himself said it's more blessed to give to them than to receive which is by the way the only saying of jesus that is not in the gospels that is repeated in in one of paul's letters so i i found another friends of mine have found that when you give to christians christians in persecuted countries you know i've got several christians i can think of i don't even really want to mention where they are but they're somewhere in the middle east and they've got with four young children they're going through amazing suffering and deprivation and yet the blessing that I get from them is so much richer than I can give, I can give to the other way. Or indeed Christians in, in Eastern Europe, which because of my childhood, I'm still, you know, I feel that's what God laid on my heart. And when I go to those people, I'm just staggered by how amazingly devoted they are to the Lord, their prayer life, their self-sacrifice. And that, 
inspires and frankly corrects me. So I think when we get together and kind of compare notes about what we give and who we give to, the Lord blesses us as we give. And it's not, it's not about the amount. No, look at the widow's mite. The Lord was looking. By the way, it's interesting, isn't it? Jesus looks at how much we give, friends. That's, that should worry you a little bit. <laughs> okay? So he looks at it. He knows your bank balance. And, he, and where, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. But the Lord looked at that old lady with two mites, the smallest amount, and he said, she's given more. So even if you're like John T, 20 pounds is obviously a lot for John T, and he lives on a modest scale. God bless him. You know, McDonald's for him is like the je ne sais quoi of food. <laughs> I feel a bit sorry for his wife and family, but there we are. Other, uh, other restaurants are available, John T, in London. But um, God, God, God loves it when we give cheerfully. And even the smallest amount, even I don't know what the equivalent would be, 10p, we give it with a, a, a godly heart, with a cheerful heart. God blesses that. I mean, I'm sure this happened to you, but when I've travelled in parts of the world, in India and other places where there's very little, and what I've discovered is this: that uh, people that have very little, uh, Christians, this is very often two things going on. One, they have a sharper view of heaven. There's, there's this dependency thing. There's an immediacy, but there's also a generosity that I don't always find in my own heart, an instant generosity. I remember being given breakfast one morning by an Indian pastor and the missionary colleague as we were walking to the church said, do you realize he's given you half his week's wages today in providing that breakfast for you? Mm. Um, so I think there is a real challenge being in the Western world with all our materialism as, as Christians. It, in many ways it is harder. It is a trial to be uh, wise with your money uh, but it is an attitude of, at the end of the day, it's an attitude of heart, isn't it? I think, as John said, also, the Lord is at the door. So death is certainly imminent in the grand scheme of things. I hope you all live to 100, but that means probably you know, a, a relatively short period of time. And there's a saying, which I think is a bad saying, um, so-and-so is so heavenly minded, they know earthly use. I must say, I've never met anyone remotely like that. I think we all, 100% of us, need to be more heavenly minded. And if we sense that life is short and that death is imminent, then what's the point, as I said a few minutes ago, of hanging on to money when we're going to have to leave it behind anyway? No, send it, send it ahead. And the same thing applies to sharing our faith. That's one thing that I was pretty bad at historically, and since I've been ill, I've strangely found it a lot easier. Probably some of my friends just feel sorry for me as well. But um, I've got this thing that um, some of you may have come across there's a Bible notes on, on John's Gospel called The Word One-to-One. And um, over the last couple of years, I've got about 15 non-Christian friends of mine going on, on doing this with me. Um, again, I'm sure some of them are just trying to get me from wandering the streets between my <laughs> clinic appointments, but that's okay. And uh, I've been so struck by just how powerful the Word of God is when we share it. And I, I just asked them, would you like to have a chat about the Bible? About half say yes and half say no. We sit in Starbucks or wherever and we just chat through John's Gospel. But the Lord said, we must work while it's day because the night comes when no man can work. And that's another version of the judges at the door. So friends, there's all kinds of great things we can look forward to in heaven. But the one thing we won't be able to do there is evangelize. Or, or actually, no, I think we give money away either because we won't have any. So... Isn't it wonderful that now is the day of opportunity? Now we can share our faith. And the more we feel 
the judges at the door, the more we'll get on with it and do it. And by the way, if you feel, actually, I can't do that, I'm, I'm, I don't know what to do, I feel afraid, that's good. If you feel, oh, yeah, that's quite easy, I'm the expert at evangelism, that's not good. Because the more we feel our unworthiness and helplessness, the same thing with giving, the more God will take that and use that. So, friends, life is short, and what happened with me when I first had cancer was just I had a tiny lump on my ribs, and after that a whole lot of other things happened. So that, you know, I don't want to be alarmist, and may you all live to your 100, but that can happen to any one of us. None of us are immortal. Benjamin Franklin said, the only thing in life that's certain is death and taxes. Well, having worked in private banking in Switzerland, I can tell you that's not quite true, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but the death piece is. So, friends, let's work while it's day. Jeremy, you've uh, an important appointment this afternoon at 3 o'clock at Vicarage Road. Um, but you very kindly agreed to, to be around. If you can have some lunch with us, that would be, be marvellous. But we do want to give opportunity for people just to come and chat with you. Um, so don't be shy in doing that. Just kind of grab Jeremy uh, if there's some things. But have we got five minutes for just some questions? Yeah. Okay. So just any questions that have kind of in your mind?